This is The Guardian. Disturbing images of young girls have appeared in a small town in Spain. Where have they come from? Could I just uh, ask your name? I'm not keen to share it, really. Listen to Black Box, a new podcast series from The Guardian. Seven stories about AI and us. Coming soon. Hello and welcome to Guardian Football Weekly. It's an EFL pod with a little bit of Premier League and FA Cup at the surface, but dig beneath and you will get the gold below. Jared Bowen's hat-trick means West Ham are good again, a decent win over Brentford, who are getting a lot of they'll be fine vibes, despite being very much in the mix. Maidstone's FA Cup fairy tale is over after a 5-0 defeat at Coventry, and then it's on to the Football League. Might Leicester not actually make it? Okay, six points clear at the start of March is quite a good place to be, but two defeats in a row, one to form side, and now second-place leads mean the most pessimistic at the King Power, at least, will be getting a tiny bit nervous. We'll go through everything you need to know about promotion, playoffs and relegation, discuss Mardi post-match interviews. Take your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Sani Rudravagela, welcome. Hello. Hello, George Alec. Hello. Uh, from Not the Top 20 podcast. Thank you very much, point Max, out, Rather than say. saving it for the name. last seconds of the pod <laughs> before I promote your excellent podcast. Uh, ben Fisher, welcome. Hi, Max. And hello, Barry Glendenning. Hi. Uh, let's start with West Ham's win over Brentford then in the Premier League last night. Um, ridiculous start to this game. Uh, West Ham 2-0 up after seven minutes. Uh, Bowen hadn't scored since before Christmas, got two in seven. And then his first ever hat-trick. I thought West Ham were quite good in this game, Barry, and, and all is forgotten over the last, I don't know how long, since West Ham were hopeless. Yeah, I, I noticed you're coming to me for this one. I, I thought you'd keep my powder dry till we get to the league two nitty gritty <laughs> um, in part three. Listen, you've got five minutes, Barry, then you can do one of the Europods, sit back and enjoy. That's that's today. No, it was a very impressive West Ham performance, and I suppose that may have had plenty to do with the fact that uh, Lucas Piquetta was back from injury and his just his mere presence seems to lift his teammates, seems to lift the fans. He's an exciting player. He was good. Jared Bowen was outstanding. Mohamed Kudus was good. Thomas Suchek and Vladimir Sufal, who, who've been getting a bit of stick uh, in recent times, they, they were good. And, and it was a really good performance. Brentford were pretty poor. I think there was maybe, you know, West Ham won pretty comfortably. I think there was a key moment in the game at West Ham were 2-1 up and there was this really unnecessary Mo Kudus shove on Sergio Reguilon as they were both running out of one side of the West Ham penalty area and they were both in the penalty area. I thought it was a stonewall penalty it was like the Andy Robertson shove on somebody yeah not quite as violent but a definite shove and a completely unnecessary one because they were running away from goal that wasn't given I'm not sure why but that might have made things interesting but after that uh, West Ham went 3-1 then 4-1 up and game over and Jared Bones first ever career hat-trick he is now on 14 for the season and obviously there's there's talk of an England call-up 
for the next international break. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if he gets one or not. Uh, his, his celebration, Sonny, you sent two men talking very quickly. Uh, uh, and I'm I, I, some, I don't know what that music is. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Yeah, so he scored his hat trick and then he did like a, a DJ sort of pose, one hand on the ear and one hand kind of spinning yes. a, a, a record. Apparently it's an homage to DJ Spider Raji. And I thought I'd go right. down the rabbit hole. And it appears it's two Geordie blokes um, to kind of like happy hardcore. But then also the DJ is just a man like dressed as Spider-Man in yes. the classic like modern DJ of just pressing play. Not actually doing any mixing, but then firing a little like party popper thing. Um, and all the responses have been like really quite upset Newcastle fans because they had the chance to get him a couple of years ago. And clearly Jared Bowen very much buys into the Newcastle fan vibe of Speed Garage with Geordies. So missed out on that one. I believe, uh, Sally, one of the young gentlemen alongside DJ Spider Raji is a, a man called MC Menace. Yes. I, I actually did more analysis of DJ Spider Raji than I did of the game itself. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's a DJ from Newcastle. Raji is a, a sort of a tune term for a, a young man of, you know, nefarious repute. You, right. you'll find hang, hanging around public spaces, playing loud music and drinking cider. Yeah, good good luck to Jared Bones. Clearly a fan. It's a bit niche for me, but uh, good luck to him. <laughs> uh, David Moyes did say uh, the weekend there's a contract there ready for him to sign. I, I don't know what the reaction from the West Ham fans who, you know, they really are split. And I, I, I just sort of think if you're David Moyes, Ben, you should probably just like sign that. Like, like what's... What's he waiting for? Is he waiting to be loved by everybody? Well, yeah, maybe. I, I yeah, I thought it was quite interesting that he he volunteered that. Um, obviously, that the contract talk has, has been there for a while. I, I thought it was almost him who's kind of saying, "Look, you know, I'm pretty good at this, and if you don't want me, I'll, I'll just sort of." I, I, I don't know. It felt like a bit of a two fingers up, really, um, which is a shame that it's kind of gone towards that way or, or going that way. Obviously, last night's result. Um, clearly uh, takes the heat off for a little bit. But um, yeah, I think it's quite sad. I, I mean, I, I just can't go over last season. I think he, he's done so well, um, obviously in two spells there. And for it to, you know, it's, it's not like they're kind of even mid-table. You know, they're really sort of still in the mix. I guess the idea is they are the best team or the highest team that don't want the ball. So they 41% of the ball yesterday. And like every other team in the top half of the Premier League is trying to play the way that perhaps people now expect teams with money to play. It seems like eventually there's got to be one team who wants to play on the counter-attack and that is the complaint, I think, of West Ham. Fans. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose it's a, I mean, it's, it's not comparing like with like, but I suppose it's a little bit like with with the with, with the teams that have come up in terms of the relegation picture this season, you know, if Luton stay up playing the way they are, you know, that, that should be commended. Whereas certainly Burnley, who have come up and were really good in the championship, you know, kind of nowhere near it. So, I don't know. I, I suppose I just think, you know, if David Moyes can get West Ham winning, obviously in, in last year's case, winning trophies as well, um, and sort of in the mix, for me, that's a decent return. They've they've spent a lot of money and I get, ideally, you'd probably want a, you know, uh, more stylish uh, style of football at times, but they've got some great players there. Barry alluded to Piquet earlier, I think he's just a brilliant player. I, I just think it's quite sad um, given what Moyes has given West Ham and given what he's given them so recently. It's not like we're sort of harpooning back to kind of three, four years ago, but one about last season. So, 
but that, that's football, I suppose. I think you harp back rather than harpoon. Sorry, yeah. It's a violent way to go back, but however you want to go back in time, why not <laughs> jump on a harpoon? Yes, George. It feels to me like the the you know with West Ham in eighth, it's easy to sit on the outside and say, well, hold on, why you know why are West Ham fans getting um, frustrated? Why is there any speculation over Moyes' future? But I, I do kind of think that maybe the way that uh, Moyes sets sets West Ham up to play gives them a, a kind of inferiority complex. Whereas actually, when you look at the the amount of money that's spent, when you consider the the, the quality that they are able to recruit, where you know, Lucas Pakatar and Mohamed Kudu are two players that I think would be desired by pretty much every manager in the in the Premier League in terms of being part of their squad. When you look at the financial outlay, that tallies. And when you look at the fact that Pakatar was very much um, of interest to Manchester City last summer, that there comes a point where you say, well, is this actually overachieving? Is this not where we, where we should be? But on the flip side of that, yes, fans want their teams to play a certain way, but every team can't play that way. You know, by definition, every team can't have 55% possession in every game at the minimum because there, there has to be room for teams to exploit the fact that there have to be a, a couple of teams within the Premier League who don't dominate the ball, who do attack in transition. And West Ham are, are, are so good at that. But this is where these days, which is probably different to 20, 30 years ago, where this was purely a results business. Fans go to games and are expecting to be entertained more so than just uh, by getting results. And clearly, Amongst West Ham fans, there's a desire to play a different way. But often we see teams in the Premier League who who look to change style, who, who kind of think that they've hit um, a ceiling in terms of where they can get to playing a certain way. When they do tear it up and change style, things unravel pretty quickly. So it kind of feels like West Ham is stuck between a rock and a hard place. Emerson's goal, it was a great shoot mm. from the whole crowd and then into the top <laughs> corner. And, you know, it is worth saying that Fabianski, asterisk, made a couple of excellent saves uh, in that game. Um, do you fear for Brentford, Barry? Um, they are 16th, five points off Luton in 18th? Uh, I don't, and I probably should. And that seems to be the prevailing mood. Everyone seems to think uh, they'll be fine. But, um, no, if, if you're that close to the drop zone... I'd, there's, there's every chance Luton or someone else could put a run of games together. Uh, yeah, I, I think the general consensus to, seems to be that Burnley and Sheffield United are gone. It is just ex- extremely lo- unlikely either of them will get themselves out of the mess they're in. Uh, so that's just one relegation place left. So Brentford probably are fine, but they need to be careful. Everton's penalty for breaching Premier League financial rules has been reduced from 10 points to 6 after an appeal. Uh, the reduction lifts them from 17th to 15th. They are facing another possible points deduction. As far as I can see, Barry, Everton don't come out of it brilliantly and the Premier League don't come out of it brilliantly either. Yeah, and and the commission who arrived at the judgment didn't come out of it either. So uh, the penalty has been reduced by 4 points because they made legal errors. Um, you would presume they shouldn't make legal errors it should be watertight case and you know we've done everything correctly they said that Everton had been less than frank about the direct the debt surrounding their new stadium and uh, part of the original punishment was for not acting in the utmost good faith in adverted commas and and that shouldn't have been the case because they did act in the utmost good faith there seems to be a massive lack of clarity about uh, how the Premier League arrived at the, the punishment and Richard Masters 
refused to make the minutes of the meeting um, at which this punishment was arrived at available for public consumption, so people are wondering why, and there just seems to be a sense that they're making things up as they go along. Everton, I don't think they come out of it too badly. They claim assorted mitigating factors, such as the imposition of sanctions on Alistair Usmanov, uh, the cancellation of one quite high-profile player's contract after he was arrested, and these were all dismissed as, as not being mitigating factors. But, uh, yeah, no one comes out of it tremendously well. There's still a chance they could get another points deduction. In the FA Cup last night, first game of the fifth round, Coventry beat Maidstone 5-0, hat-trick for Ellis Sims. Um, uh, ben, you were there. Did you have a nice time? Yeah, no, it was, a, it, was a, it was a pleasure to be there. No, it was good. It was great to see... Um... I watched the Maidstone Ipswich game on the television. I must say, he's a you know obviously a neutral in that game. I don't think I've enjoyed a, watching a game on television for a, as much as a long time because it was just it was amazing viewing. I remember feeling weirdly emotional at sort of half past one, and I think it was an early kickoff. So it was Saturday afternoon. It was just great, um, really, like just an amazing game, amazing a reminder of what the FA Cup can be. And that was kind of what you could see even last night, even after a five nil defeat and let's face it it was game over after certainly 34 minutes if not 14 when it was 2-0 you know at the end George Edicobi went on this the Maidstone manager went on this lap of the pitch and plenty of you know thousands of Coventry fans stuck around to, to applaud him he's given it back to them this kind of two-way street and kind of like a communal kind of acknowledgement of what um, him and his team have, have sort of created almost this season it feels like haven't had that for quite a long time um Obviously, you know, the, the fact they're in the sixth tier, you know, it's not like they're just sort of a, I don't know, mid-ranking League Two, like a Newport or something where, you know, it's really good. But ultimately, this is a league team, you know, for them to be a non-league team and have the ride that they, they've had in the Cup, uh, really quite special. Obviously, a shame for it to end. But it, it was never really going to be about the scoreline last night. I mean, I was going to say it's a shame for it to end as it did, but I'm not sure if it was. I mean, the scenes at full time were just incredible. Uh, Lucas Cavolan, the, the Brazilian goalkeeper, um, who, who's a big sort of personality. Um, he was whipping up the fans at the end of the game, sort of leading chants and stuff. You know, you, half of you might have thought that he, he they would have won 5 0. You know, the, the celebrations were. I don't think I've ever seen a team so sort of happy to lose 5 0, put it that way. So <laughs> it was really, yeah, it, it, was, it was nice to be um, sort of a part of that last night. And uh, yeah, good. Uh, just a great ride for Maidstone. And probably another good evening, really. You know, they have great memories. Like, Elikobi had said before the game he wanted his players to cherish it, to record memories, take as many photos and videos as possible, which you know, we don't always hear. We often hear sort of criticism of the, the opposite. And, you know, players were filming and videoing as they stepped off the team coach and stuff. You know, just great, great to see. Like, it, I was going to say, as Casey Palmer threaded another pass through to Ellis Sims, just to centre-back <laughs> on his iPhone, going, look, I'm here. It's the FA Cup fifth round. He wasn't, yeah, it wasn't that starry-eyed. But, I mean, it was... Um, I don't know to see to see that and like the I don't know just what it meant to them. I think was really quite refreshing actually, especially in an era where it seems everybody's so quick to want to deride. Certainly the, the cup competitions, including the FA Cup, really nice to kind of have that special moment. It's worth saying that before recording, Ben was talking about how to park at Coventry and unprompted. Uh, so you know, good that you're sticking to form. Anyway, that'll do for part one. Part two, uh, we'll begin with the top of the championship. Thank you. 
Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Look, the last time, George, we did an EFL pod, it looked like Leicester were, I don't know how many points clear they were, but obviously they're in a good position. Like six points clear with 12 games left is not a bad spot, but they have lost two in a row, you know, and they lost to Leeds who are absolutely flying. There isn't a chance that they might not make it after all this, is there? I think there's definitely a chance. You know, I think you have to caveat the conversation around Leicester in the championship title race and promotion race by saying that clearly Leicester are still the massive favourites. And, um, you know, with, with a six-point gap in the end of February, the, the chances are they will not only get promoted but win the league. But given the position they were in a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, for, for most of the first part of the season, them and, and Ipswich were, were kind of uh, neck and neck at the top of the table. Ipswich dropped off and, you know, they they, they built up a double-figure um, point lead. But Leeds' form since the turn of the year has been relentless. They've won every single game so far in the league in 2024. When you also consider that Ipswich, who went through a, a bit of a, a slump when George Hurst, their key striker, got injured, they are now looking as good as they looked early in the campaign. And their fixture list is, is very kind as well. Like th- this isn't just a title race. I think if you're saying, if, if you're looking back at, at Leeds and, and Ipswich as, as trying to chase down Leicester, with Southampton having lost back-to-back home games and, and lost three of their last four, probably tailing off a little bit, then you've got to not only say the title race is open, but if, if one of those teams can chase down Leicester, then, then possibly both of them can. So um, the one thing to say on this on, on Friday night, you know, when these two teams met uh, at Leicester back in October, Leeds did an absolute job on Leicester. They won the game 1-0. They were by far the better team. It wasn't the case on Friday where Leicester no. turned up. Uh, they went ahead early. They they were the better team. Uh, there, there was a period of um, 25 minutes in the in the beginning of the second half where they looked rampant and it felt like a matter of time until um, they got a second goal. But Leeds had some fortune themselves with the goals that they scored uh, three goals late on sparking wild scenes at Ellen Road. And Leeds have been, you know, in terms of the quality they've got in their squads, there's no reason, I don't think, why this run can't continue. And for, and for Leicester, they've got tricky games to come. They're home to QPR next up, who, under Marty Sifuentes, are, are defensively very, very sound. And then trips to, to Sunderland, which is looking a bit easier than it looked a couple of weeks ago, but a trip to Hull, who are in great form too. Leicester need to, you know, last time that they lost some games, they lost uh, a, a glut of games in a very short period of time before, before turning around. If they do that again here... I think Leeds and Ipswich both have the, the potential in the short term to close that gap even further. I mean, if you're going to have a wobble, this is a decent time to do it. They've still got that gap. I do kind of feel like, you know, there's, a, there's there have been some Leicester fans complaining at the style of football. And, you know, there's been boos occasionally at the kind of slow build up. The, you know, uh, Enzo Moresca comes from the Pep Guardiola school of football. And you can contrast, contrast that with Ellen Road, where... All the fans are all together as one and, you know, they're all singing. And that game at Ellen Road, like the place was just absolutely rocking. And I do wonder, you know, in that run that George has mentioned there, Leeds have only conceded two goals as well, uh, winning nine. So the momentum certainly feels like it's with Leeds. And you just wonder if all these maybe little grumblings here and there, you know, Moresca didn't get one of his main players where he wanted to sign in, in the transfer window as well. Perhaps Leeds might just gazump them just by virtue of just having, you know, players coming to form and everyone kind of coming together. I mean, Willie Nyonso is one, for example. I think it's five in, in six for him. And, and he's come back from injury and kind of not quite being in the squad. He's just been absolutely on fire. And they've got a few players like that now that are just kind of all hitting really nice form at the right time. Whereas Leicester are kind of slightly going off the boil here and there. Ben, who, who would be the most fun to come up into the Premier League, would you say? I think Leeds, uh, on, on current evidence. Um 
I think Leicester, as Sandy just alluded to, you know, they play, uh, is that kind of Guardiola school of thought, is, you know, sort of pass you to death, uh, inverted fullbacks, you know, we've seen Ricardo Pereira and, you know, all these people take on sort of different lives. Yannick Vestergaard, sort of a man transformed um, after, you know, training alone under Brendan Rodgers and back end of that, obviously what was an awful season last year. I do think Leicester should be, you know, if they're not already on the back of Friday, really quite concerned about Leeds because I think the way they're playing, they're just, they're so rampant, especially at Ellen Road. Sani alluded to it there. You know, the atmosphere is amazing. What Daniel Farker has created, I actually think it's probably going to sound stupid, a little bit unnoticed. I mean, if you think back to start of the season, I mean, sort of pre-season, you know, Leeds were kind of a bit of shambles, really. There was the remnants of uh, new ownership, lots of sort of confusion behind the scenes still. I think Farker was deemed... I could be wrong, but I feel like he was deemed a fairly kind of underwhelming appointment. Lots of players obviously left. Many wanted to leave, didn't move. You know, Nonto was one of those who sort of threw his toys out the pram before. Obviously, now he's on this amazing run, uh, a key part of what they're doing so well. And I actually think, you know, so much of this season, we, we've spent uh, lauding Leicester's squad depth, really, or quality of, of side. And you look at Leeds and, you know, their bench is pretty impressive too. What they've actually built through for the last summer in January... They have this, you know, little Welsh contingent where Daniel Farkas had to say, you know, I don't, I don't care what's on the passport. You know, it's about about their quality. But Connor Roberts now joins Dan James, Joe Rodon, Ethan Ampadu as this kind of Welsh contingent in Yorkshire. You know, and you know, looking at the bench on the week, on Friday, sorry, you know, Bamford, Liam Cooper's on the bench, Jaden Anthony who's at Bournemouth. You know, there's Gail Hart can't even really get in the squad. Who's somebody I do like? I just think they have so much. Uh, they have a nice mix. They've obviously got Archie Gray, that bit of youth and. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, six points is, is nothing really. One more slip by Leicester and Leeds are going to be, be right there. Um, likewise, Ipswich. So, yeah, I think um, I, I think all three of those teams play really good stuff. But I think Leeds, the, the way they are at the moment, they're just so rampant. Burnley were runaway winners of the Championship last season. Sheffield United also came up. They're both stinking the Premier League out. Is... Could we see the same thing happen next season? Obviously, there's a lot of variables to consider um, summer business, but whoever goes up, will they be as, as bad as Burnley and Sheffield United, George? It's so hard to say. I, I think with, with Burnley, it feels to me like there was massive complacency where they believed their own hype. And I, I don't think anyone at Burnley thought they would even be threatened by relegation this season. I think they believed, a bit like Leeds when they came up under Bielsa, a bit like Sheffield United when they came up under Wilder, that they were riding the crest of this wave and they'd be able to implement their, their philosophy and their style in the Premier League easily. And clearly that didn't work. They also recruited basically a whole new squad, which was bizarre when you consider how well they did last season. So I think there are lessons to be learned there. It does kind of feel to me like Leicester and Leeds have the infrastructure of a mid-table Premier League club when they come up and therefore they should be able to um, to settle in and Southampton to an extent as well, albeit, you know, Jason Wilcox, who was a very good um, bit of recruitment from them uh, as sporting director for Manchester City is now clearly being linked to Manchester United, which would derail their progress somewhat. Ipswich are the really interesting one where you've got a, a side who have been on this amazing journey under Kieran McKenna and, and I, I still think McKenna has to be um, one of the most sought-after managers for for Premier League teams and top-tier teams um, going forward. You know, he's taken them from being a really underachieving side in League One to now the, the brink of the Premier League. But they're the one where if they do go up, do they continue to play the way that they do? And, and I think we've seen from the back end of last season where they dominated the ball, they, they pressed aggressively, um, 
going into the championship. They haven't lost any of their attacking threat, but they've been a little bit more pra- pragmatic in the way that they, that they keep the ball. So that suggests to me that McKenna is someone who understands uh, the task at hand. And I think we're seeing now in terms of what Luton have done, that the blueprint, in my mind at least, to how to to you know survive in the Premier League, when you have to accept that you're not going to have players who are as technically gifted as your opposition, is to prioritise other skill sets apart from technical ability. And we've seen that Luton have gone aggressively after players who are physically dominant. They've seen them press teams off the park, not allow teams to play and recruit players like Andros Townsend and Ross Barkley, whose stock has fallen way beneath what their actual performance level is. And it's that innovative means of of recruitment and style of play that I think should be the way that a team like Ipswich, if they do go up, look to, to progress. But I personally think the likes of Leicester and and um, Leeds would probably be okay. Southampton under Russell Martin would be a bit more difficult because he is very wedded to that passing style. Uh, Ipswich is the, is the question mark if they do get there, but um, McKenna is certainly a, a, a pretty promising coach and someone who I anticipate wouldn't be as naive to think that he can just come up and, and continue playing the way that he wants to. Yeah, Southampton, you know, are the, the other team that could get automatic promotion. They're five points behind Ipswich and, and Leeds. Um, it should be just two points had they not lost at home to Neil Harris's spit. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but but we look, uh, we'll get to Millwall in a bit. But Sandy, we shouldn't write Southampton off of this race, should we? No, no, we really didn't, shouldn't. Um, although they have lost two in a row and three to the last five. So certainly having gone on that brilliant run, where oh, I can't remember how many games it was now. It was 20-odd games, wasn't it? More than that? Um, 24? 24. It? I was going to say 24. Yeah. I think it's 25. Yeah, and all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, you know, have they have they have they got the the depth? Maybe um, you know, both the Armstrongs are still doing okay for them. Um, but yeah, certainly, I, I think they're a victim of well, uh, George would probably term it variance, wouldn't it? You know, there's, there's lots of teams that kind of can beat each other, and you see Leeds and Leicester. I think kind of that slight cut above. But yeah, you certainly can't write them off. Um, and Russell Martin has done a really good job when you consider. Again, a bit like a bit like what Ben was saying about um, Leeds in the summer. You know, Southampton were in a, a bit of a, a strange kind of shape, uh, and they're doing okay. And they're there or thereabouts, and that's all you need to be. And you just need to wait for one of the top two to kind of slip up, and you can you can sneak back in there. I was just going to say on, on Southampton, I think it's interesting. Obviously, they've had a bad couple of weeks. Um, and they they play they go to Liverpool in the FA Cup on Wednesday. I'm just a little bit concerned about that because a few weeks ago it seemed a bit of a free hit. Russell Martin was saying, you know, we just want to go. This is the ultimate challenge for us to play our way and this is what we're going to do. We're not going to, um, you know, go away from what we do. We're going to play our way at Anfield and that's going to be the ultimate test, you know, playing this sort of amazing team, Klopp's team. I just worry a little bit now whether, you know, off the back of a defeat to Millwall, if you, you know, if they were to go there and OK, there's going to be changes, it's going to be a different team, but I just wonder if they were to get a real kind of pummeling, what, what that would do kind of confidence-wise, you know, it's so brittle and Russell Martin talks really impressively about, you know, what he, giving his players courage, bravery, and that's kind of at the heart of what they do. And you can you can see that. But equally, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, right? So I think, I don't know, just be a little concerned if that was to go awry this week. You know, in some ways they go, oh, well, this is, you know, this is the cup, this doesn't matter, it's Liverpool, we need to focus on the league. I just wonder if there could be a knock-on effect um, because... That is, uh, George said a minute ago, you know, Russell Martin is very wedded to that style. And for a long, long time, you know, for a huge patch of this season, it's reaped rewards. But, um, yeah, they just had a little wobble of late. Just worth pointing out as well that Saints have still got to play Leicester, Leeds and Ipswich away from home. So, you know, they're the three hardest games you can have. But there are two ways of looking at that. 
You know, one is that yeah. their points expectancy from those games is quite low, but the other side of it is if they can manage to get, to know, six, seven, nine points from those games, then they will be taking points off the teams above them, which will help them close that gap. Uh, there are two other playoff spots then. If we presume that two of those four go up and two make the playoffs, it'll be pick two of probably West Brom, Hull, Norwich, Preston, Coventry. Sani, can you pick those two for us? Well, now that Norwich have got Josh Sargent back, I think that makes a, a massive difference. But having said that, um, they've lost Johnny Rowe, who, who has come through the youth team and, and was scoring for fun, and he's had a couple of injuries. He's got a serious hamstring issue that I think is going to hamstring the whole team. Um, Hull are a really interesting one because they, they play this style of football. They've got loads of young players. Jaden Philogene, in particular, uh, has been outstanding despite having injuries as well. I was kind of looking at the table. So at the yeah, moment with Hull and West Brom making up those final two playoff places, thinking, do you know what? I think it might stay like this. I think these are probably that top six might just be the strongest six. I mean, Preston have had a really strange season so far with it. For a while, it was getting a little bit mutinous at the back end of 2023. Uh, and all of a sudden, they're on a, they're on a great run and playing some really good football and, and dispatched Coventry, a really bad, very, very bad performance in Coventry, but beat them 3-0. Uh, last time out as well but I just feel like the strength in depth maybe of, of West Brom are going to keep them there you know assuming Carlos Corbran can, can keep himself off the pitch rather than trying to kick balls off it on it which got him sent off the other week um, but yeah I think as it is might just stay that way I think those are kind of the strongest teams for me Barry any any further thoughts on Sunderland and you know they were in the mix for what I felt was quite a long time we have obviously dealt with the Mick Beale burner account, which is one of the highlights of the season, I would suggest. No, Mike Dodds is interim manager to the end of the season. They lost at home against Swansea uh, at the weekend and they're what, eight points off the playoff spots. It's going to be very difficult, isn't it? Um, but yeah, it's, it's a circus, as George said, in, as we were discussing it before we started recording. Um and and Mick Dodds is the latest or Mike Dodds is the latest ringmaster. Um, at the bottom, so Rotherham are gone. They must be nineteen points from thirty-four games. Then it's pretty tight. Sheffield Wednesday on thirty-two, Stoke QPR on thirty-five, Millwall on thirty-six. Uh, after that win at the weekend, <laughs> Huddersfield on thirty-seven, Birmingham thirty-eight, Swansea and Blackburn thirty-nine. Um, George. Talk us through how you see the bottom of the table. It's been such a strange season at the bottom of the championship because Sheffield Wednesday and QPR making two of the most inspired managerial appointments we've seen in the middle of a season. In a season where there's actually been loads. We've seen MK Dons make one in League Two um, as well. Uh, Danny Royal at Sheffield Wednesday has done unbelievable work to get them on the brink of getting out of the bottom three. And QPR finally worked their way out under Marty Cifuentes. And that's kind of shaken everything up because back in November time, it, it basically looked like we had the three teams relegated out of the championship sewn up after about 15 games of the season. Uh, and that has been a disastrous um, turn of events for Millwall, who when they appointed Joe Edwards, I think probably thought they were safe. They've had to dispense with him pretty quickly, um, given their, their trajectory. A classic new manager bounce, I would say, rather than giving Neil Harris too much credit um, for this one, uh, Max, where I don't think Harris had too much to do with it. It was just that Millwall weren't actually playing that badly. And then they went to Southampton, and um, scored from a penalty and an incredible header from Tanganga and um, and Sarkic made some big saves to keep them in it. So they're in trouble. Stoke in trouble as well. Their mid-season change uh, from Alex Neal to Stephen Schumacher not working yet. Uh, and you know they dispensed with their technical director, Ricky Martin, last week. 
um, as many people on Twitter would have seen, leaving the Via de Stoker as about 16 for viral tweets yes. to, to fly around. And then Huddersfield's uh, also appointed manager in, in Brighton Writer, um, which sounds like uh, an employee at a, at a broadsheet rather than a football manager. But um, he's someone who has come in and got a big win straight away and they seem to be improving too. So, what, I mean, it's so open now. I think you can basically go all the way up to to certainly Plymouth Argyle in 15th. And if they went on a really poor run of form, possibly even the, the glut of teams above them on, on 44 points, but that would be pretty stunning if it did happen. Uh, Blackburn um, and Birmingham... Also changing manager, Birmingham's manager, Tony Mowbray, uh, obviously having to take a, a bit of a break due to health issues, which is, um, you know, obviously concerning and, and everyone's best wishes towards him. But it's not ideal for, for Birmingham City to have appointed a manager who's started very well, who, who then won't be on the touchline for a while. So it, it's a real mess. If I, if I had to say now, I think we'll go down. I think Rotherham are, are all but down. I, I think Stoke are in, in serious trouble. And probably looking at one of Millwall or Birmingham to make up the three. How are Stoke such a mess? Um, what, what I mean, they have what a question, Barry. Loads of money. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, is it, would it take you a couple of hours to answer the question? Or yeah, I, th- I think so. I, they've tried everything. Like yeah. They've tried so many different profiles of manager. You've had the, the pragmatic Gary Rowett, who's been a, a relative success everywhere he's been. You've had Nathan Jones and, and the job he did at Luton. Michael O'Neill, you know, someone who inspired Northern Ireland to, to eclipse anything they'd ever done in international football before. Alex Neal, a, a serial promotion winner. Stephen Schumacher, someone who uh, Argyle's done an unbelievable job and no one seems to be able to, to, to get the best out of this, this team. I think in the short term, they recruited... You know about about twenty five players of whom very few have played in English football before, and I think maybe they did too much too fast. Um, not that these players are necessarily poor players. I think Ruta Berger in particular is someone who, who will probably be gracing the Premier League uh, at some point, despite his um, not really, you know, tearing it up at, at Stoke. Um, but in terms of, of of the reasons behind this, it just feels like a club that, for whatever reason, as smart as the decisions look when they make them nothing ever seems to go right. Just on Stoke, um, they lost 2-1 to, to Cardiff last time out and Schumacher, uh, he said like the, the, in the post-match interview that the challenge is the club, he's coming to a club that isn't settled uh, and he talks about next season he wants to build a, a, a squad that wants to play the way that he wants them to play and you just think it's such a strange kind of way to come into this when you think that every side from 15th to 24 for sack the manager and change the manager for one reason or the, or the other uh, and are expecting a new manager bounce bounce I, I wonder whether Schumacher maybe needed a bit more pragmatism in here in the same way George kind of mentioned about teams that potentially going up to the Premier League maybe now's the wrong time to be saying we want to play this style of football when if you don't particularly like the squad and you think it's all a bit disparate and your top scorer's only got six in Andre Vidigal like you know maybe just Cut your cloth accordingly for now, Stephen. Keep them up and then try something else because it could just all go completely wrong. I mean, they are they are in freefall. The flip side of that, though, is that that's why he'd have been appointed. You know, he he he. The, the whole basis of appointing him will be will be in terms of what he did at Argyle, and I'm sure that's the the, the brief he's been given. But it is interesting you say that because if you look at Swansea, who appointed Luke Williams, and Luke Williams plays, you know, who's Russell Martin's assistant previously, he plays this uber extreme possession style generally and this is a Swansea 
fan base who demand that style of play. And yet he has come in and done exactly what you've said, where he hasn't looked to implement his philosophy immediately. He's been more pragmatic and, it, and it's yielding the, the results that will keep that should keep them up. And then next season, I'm sure we'll see um, him reverting to, to, to type. But I think it's difficult to criticise Schumacher for not doing you know what he's done in order to get himself the, this shot in the first place. Uh, ben, am, am I allowed to find it hilariously funny if Millwall get relegated, <laughs> given what they've just done? I, I suppose you can, Max. Um, I, I think the Mill one's actually interesting to come back to an earlier point. I suppose what we were alluding to with, with David Moyes, and I suppose it's just a, a football theme at the moment, where earlier in the season when Ryan Lowe, the Preston manager, was, was getting stick uh, about the style of play. I can't remember the exact wording, but basically it was, you know, hinged on style and you know they they weren't sexy enough basically um and he was like well that's fine but you know you couldn't have this and he he didn't name check joe edwards directly but he was he he basically said you know about a team um struggling at the other end of the division who've changed their manager to try and you know win on that on those stakes and you know get this kind of um brand of football and obviously this is massively backfired didn't work for millwall obviously to the point where they've ended up in in real trouble, obviously Harris comes back, but I just think it's interesting, kind of that careful what you wish for, I suppose, because Mill and many teams have tried to go that way, implement a new style, young coach, you know, a thirty-something coach, you know, rip it up, start again, and it didn't work. Um, and I don't know. It's a, I suppose it's a little bit like same with Schumacher in in Stoke I mean he he left a really solid foundation at Plymouth he was obviously a massive part of it was assistant to Ryan Lowe previously at Plymouth um Neil Dewsnip director of football obviously had a great you know relationships all knitted together really well there we've said before many a times on here about how kind of impressive Plymouth are as a structure and he goes into Stoke and it's it is a total mess it's a shambles obviously as George said, you know, Ricky Martin leaves, which speaks to wider problems. Recruitment's been wild. Um, they haven't finished above mid-table since being relegated from the Premier League. It's, you know, they've spent serious money. You know, you can't really knock the the, the sort of Coates family and ownership. Um, they do spend a lot of money. They do back their guys. You know, all, the, all of their managers would, would attest to that. Yeah, what a slide that's been. Going back to style of play, do you think every club in this division, does every fan feel like, they have a, t- a team that has a style of play. Like, is there a Millwall style? Well, a way, the West Ham way. Yeah, no, exactly, the West Ham way. Because, you know, we're talking about Millwall and, you know, they're playing style or Preston's or whatever. In our minds, when you think of your team, do you think oh, there is a certain way to play? Because in my mind, for Stoke, for example, it's just, it's long throws and it will always be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's definitely a Neil Harris style of play, which isn't to everyone's taste, but it's not yeah. necessarily the Millwall style of play. I did notice Danny Baker tweeting that. Millwall's problems are nothing to do with the managers. He just said the players aren't good enough. I don't know if that's the case. But yeah, I, I, what's interesting was actually, I mean, it was split from Millwall, but it wasn't like everyone was overjoyed that Neil Harris had come back. You know, quite a lot of fans going, this doesn't seem like a forward step. Anyway, um, obviously, I I hate Millwall <laughs> and I will <laughs> knock out any Millwall fan who comes near me. But also, I wish you all the very best. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't really mind if you go down or not. All right, that'll do for part two. Part three, we'll do League One and League Two. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. So the top of League One, then Pompey at top, uh, 73 points. Um, Derby have a game in hand on 66. Bolton have a game in hand on them. So two uh, games in hand on 
Uh, Portsmouth on 66 as well. Barnsley played 33-63. Peterborough, sadly, uh, doing quite well after beating us at the weekend, 59. Uh, Oxford, 57. Um, uh, this question from uh, this question from producer Joel, actually, was that, uh, are there any really good teams in League One? None at the top are particularly convincing. I, I've kind of felt this, George. I, I've watched Pompey Bolton and Posh all beat Cambridge recently, but none of them looking that amazing. And we're not amazing. I know that for sure. This is such a hospital pass because now any Pompey fans listening or Derby fans of Bolton will be annoyed with the answer. But but no, I mean, it's, it's a really poor renewal of League One. It's a massive opportunity for all these teams to get out of it. If you compare these sides, in my mind, with Ipswich last season, Plymouth Argyle last season, Wednesday last season, I think they'd have, they'd have um, been the standout team in League One by, by a stretch. Having said that, I, I, I think we have to give Portsmouth due credit here where we talked about rookie managers a second ago and John Massino came in in January last year and didn't really pull up any trees in the, in the first uh, half of the season in the same way that Kieran McKenna didn't really when he came in at Ipswich. Seems to be a bit of a trend maybe that these managers um, just need some time to settle and, and often they aren't afforded that. Stephen Schumacher the same at Argyle when he took over from Ryan Lowe. Um, but this season they've been magnificent and for them to you know go from being a side last season, back in the last season that were we weren't even in the playoffs. We're, we're kind of a, a decent mid-table side at best to now being clear at the top of the uh, at the top of League One. I think Messino deserves massive credit, as does their um, director of football or sporting director, um, Richard Hughes, as well, for turning that football club around very, very quickly. Like They, they look like the standout team now. Weirdly, I, I think the, the team who've been the best in parts this season were Peterborough, who, you know, in the reverse game um, at, at Peterborough, where I think they beat Cambridge 4-0, it was one of the best attacking five, uh, five displays of football. 5-0. Yes. Yeah, okay. uh, I've seen in League One, they have amazing attacking talent. And for whatever reason, they, they were favourites for the for the league title about three weeks ago at the end of January. And then they've just gone on this horrible run through February where they lost consecutive games. I think it was four league games in a row. Um, and that's seen them slide from being favourites for the title to now you know, having to fight for their place in the, in the top six. Uh, Barnsley have, have, have pro- progressed as the season's gone under under uh, Neil Collins and, and Bolton Derby, um, both very capable of putting in decent performances, but despite often going under um, some difficult runs, still seem to have the staying power to be at the top end. So in, in short, I, I think it's a, a pretty poor league one, um, but I think Pompey deserve uh, immense credit for... Uh, Make you know, for developing into the team they have done under, over a short period of time. Yeah, they've had a few injuries as well, um, uh, which mm. is probably worth taking into account. Sunny, what I think is amazing is, is Derby a second, and and they don't really have a, a recognised striker at the moment. They've got so many injuries, they've had to turn to to Dwight Gale on a free transfer to come in, um, and it just kind of shows. I think he is a recognised striker. I mean, it's a bit harsh on Dwight. Gale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so they've been playing they've not been starting a recognised striker for quite a while and, and having to just put uh, Tom Barkhausen who's, who's more of a wide man up there or, or Mendes Lang who, who plays on the other side um, and yet they're second in the league so it really does kind of show that any team that can kind of put a run together with 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 her actual striker, maybe with Dwight Gale uh, could really do something but yeah really quite a strange situation to be second in the table and desperately wanting a striker and they're all injured. And maybe it'll be Dwight Gale, the hero. Who knows, in this run-in. Could be. Um, always thought Dwight Gale looked like a really old man. Like, like with sort of... Sort of, like, just, any, sort of anything. It's like Benjamin Button. Um, can, um, can, Stevenage, can Steve Evans do something with Stevenage, Ben? I mean, they seem like... We talk about, you know, managers having styles and teams you expect. So it feels like a good fit. I... Uh, we're playing them tonight, so I don't want to say anything, but I, I don't imagine they keep it on the deck, but they are doing incredibly well, Ben, aren't they? 
Yeah, no, a great fit. And he's just signed a new contract. And uh, yeah, no team certainly likes playing Steve Nidge or Steve Evans' team full stop. Um, yeah, they're still well within the mix, just outside the playoffs with a couple of games in hand. And for them to be in, in the picture, um, despite the sort of, you know, quality perhaps of the league this season is still quite remarkable. Um, let's face it, when he took over, they were, you know, looking at relegation out of the Football League into non-league. And now, in the theory, they could be a championship team next season. I think it's still a big ask. Um, I think if they were to get in the playoffs, those those other teams are certainly better equipped. But, you know, Stevenage have given plenty of those teams a sort of bloody nose uh, this season. And, yeah, Steve Evans deserves huge credit. And I think it's interesting that somebody like that could probably, you know, he was obviously at Rotherham before. I think they were semi-interested in, in taking him back this time. And you know, this is a guy who... I don't know. He he has effects on teams. He he has positive effects on teams. So even if you don't like the style of play, it's winning football. And we'll probably get to it in a minute. But I was going to say on the bottom of League One with, with Cheltenham, um, it's just quite remarkable what's happened there when Daryl Clark took over. Had they scored a goal? Yeah. No, it hadn't scored a goal. And the only goal they had to their name was an own goal, which was scored <laughs> it, it was by Bristol Rovers in a, in a cup game. And now they, they're still in the relegation zone, but... You know, if your team's above them, and sorry to uh, to produce a Joel, but you know, Charlton, Shrewsbury, Burton, even you know, Cambridge, Max, I'm afraid to oh, say, yeah, you know, any of those teams okay. above them, um, you know, you'd be really concerned because Daryl Clark sort of whipped up this siege mentality. It's kind of what he does. And I remember talking to him when he took over, and he said, "Look, my style is winning football, and uh, you can't argue with it." Um, you know, there may be a quite pragmatic, direct um, sort of in your face, but he's getting results, and um, yeah, it's quite incredible really that they uh, you know if if they stay up that is for me that's kind of manager of the season in the whole pyramid territory it's just absolutely incredible to galvanize what's a kind of mid-table league two budget team you know a kind of bit of a team of misfits really um you know they had too many low knees that can send a couple back it's just a real mess he's gone in there galvanized this place with sort of skeleton staff um you know thin squad uh, quality-wise, and he's brought in a couple of sort of old, uh, trusty players like Tom Pett, who he knows well, and he's got them kind of firing again. And yeah, just just incredible that they're they're in the picture. One of my favourite January signings was Cheltenham going out and signing Matty Taylor, who had played for Daryl Clark and scored a lot of goals at Bristol Rovers. Had played for Daryl Clark last season on loan at Port Vale as well. But Matt Taylor was, you know, a, a player who's been done brilliantly at Oxford, done brilliantly at Bristol City, Bristol Rovers. He was not getting a game at Forest Green, who were in the bottom two in League Two. So you can imagine Cheltenham fans' reaction when they are going out and recruiting a player who is not getting into the Forest Green side. No love lost between Cheltenham and Forest Green as well. But he's come in and scored goals immediately. Scored some crucial goals to help them get out of the relegation zone. I completely agree with Ben. I think it is up there. If they do pull it off, I think that the, the job that Daryl Clark has done to, to, to have kept a team up who hadn't scored a goal in mid-October would be one of the most amazing survival stories we've seen. Uh, just on players who, you know, follow managers around. I mean, Neil Harris, you know, brought in Lyle Taylor, who he worked before, but he brought in Macaulay Bond, who he signed for Gillingham. And, you know, Macaulay Bond said, you know, Neil Harris, like he said, there'd be a place for me. I'll always go where he is. I'll always play for him. So he signed for Gillingham. And then Neil Harris got sacked by Gillingham. Then he signed for us. And then Neil Harris 
fucked off again. This poor bloke is just desperately trying to follow Neil Aaron saying, just stay at the club for, for one second. Look, of the teams at the bottom, right? Carlisle are basically gone. You've got Fleetwood on 27 points, Port Vale 31, Charlton 33, Charlton 34, and Shrewsbury, Burton, Cambridge, Reading all and Wickham all on 38. Charlton Athletic are the, you know, by far and away like the standout biggest club at Reading, okay, but we know Reading have had their problems. But, Sonny, what has happened to Charlton? Uh, I think it's... The funny thing about Charlton is they've got such a great like youth academy that, or at least a load of players continually come through. But it just when it gets to the first team and, and the players around them just aren't quite there at all. I mean, the run they're on at the moment. I'm going to scroll down the little app I've got here, and it's just it's just red and and orange of losses and draws going all the way back to beating Cheltenham. In November, it must be such a depressing experience being a Charlton fan going to the Valley. I just, just for the record, producer Joel is a Charlton fan who goes to the Valley, so I <laughs> he agrees with this. He doesn't need yeah. this confirming. Yeah, yeah. If 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 your if your uh, workplace experiences with Joel, I've taken a bit of a nosedive recently. It might be it might be reflected in in what's happening with his team on the pitch because it's it's just not good at all. So I can only imagine not as a regular at the Charl- at Charlton at all. It must be quite a depressing experience at the moment. And I, and I know as a fan, I've been in those kind of periods where you, you're watching a team and you know they're not going to win, and you're going because you kind of have to. You could be doing something else. You could list a whole host of other things you could do, and you go there, and, and it's just so bad. And it just continually gets bad and you can't see a way out. And I wonder as a player how difficult that must be at the moment. And those young players, those bright sparks, kind of getting that kind of joy kind of sucked out of them very quickly. I, I would just like to take issue with whatever app it is that Sani is using. Surely oh, yes. the draw is grey. Yes. No, no, it's it's, it's orange on the, uh, on the flash, flash oh, I'm score. I'm not having that. I agree with you. I agree. With you. <laughs> the flash score app is wrong. Green for win, red for red for defeat. Gray, uh, gray for draw is is how it should be. I, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, Barry, because my ears picked up and then I, I, I forgot <laughs> to mention it. Um, uh, top of League Two, George Mansfield on sixty three, uh, Stockport on sixty three, Crew sixty one, Wrexham fifty nine, MK Dons fifty eight. You presume it's three from five there. Uh, the 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 number that sticks out to me is Mansfield only lost four times this season, and League Two is a sort of odd league where that is really incredibly impressive yeah it's, it's really impressive um their dominance in the first half of the campaign uh, i know some people fall asleep when you mention expected goals but their their expected goals ratio um was better than manchester city's for the yeah. first half of the season which in itself shows a level of dominance that you don't necessarily see down towards the bottom end of the of the pyramid they went through a, a quite strange little um wobble at the beginning of the year but They've been absolutely rampant in recent weeks. They've won their last two home games, 9-2 and 5-1. They've scored 19 goals in their last four games. Like This is a team who are, have, have really clicked at a good time and it's benefiting them that Stockport are undergoing their worst run of the season. Um, Wrexham, a complete shadow of the team we saw early in the campaign. Their, their games at home, which used to contain so many goals, um, have now reverted to, to what we saw from away from home with, with pretty marginal games, not particularly inspiring football. Paul Mullen, who was the poster boy for them last season, of course, and, and famous both over this side and the other side of the Atlantic. Um, it's been dropped. It isn't playing anymore. Stephen Fletcher leading the line for them at the moment. Um, things not really clicking. And I think you know, Phil Parkinson could come, could come under some pretty heavy scrutiny if they fail to finish in the top three. Um, 
Got to give shout out to Mike Williams and MK Dons. No team has picked up more points since he came in from Gateshead in League Two. Um, a manager who likes to play expansive passing football, um, who has managed to come in mid-season, implement his philosophy successfully, playing and recruiting a load of players who are about five foot six, but it doesn't really seem to matter. They um, are a liquid football team who are enjoying um, playing the way that he's trying to impart. And then Crew, whose recent run has been phenomenal, especially away from home where they continually beat the best teams in the league. Um, it feels like MK Dons and Crew both have a huge part to play in this top three race with with uh, certainly Stockport and Wrexham um, really stuttering over the line. So um, yeah, we've got a tighter race and, and a really exciting race for the automatic spots um, down in League Two. There is, for the playoff spots, you've got... It's a bun fight, isn't it? So well, got, many. Yeah, seventh, seventh are on 51 and 16th is on 46. So you've got 7th to 16th separated by 5 points. <laughs> That's so good, isn't it? It's absolutely brilliant. Um, and then below them, I mean, it, it really looks like Sutton are done for. Forest Green have won a couple in the last five. I presume that's after Troy Deeney left. And that has given them a bit of hope to catch uh, Grimsby or Colchester. So Sutton on 23, Forest Green on 26, Grimsby on 30, Colchester on 31. Um, Sonny, you wanted to you wanted to bring up Steve Morrison, the Sutton manager, who um, was incredibly chippy on BBC London after uh, uh, in his post-match interview. After that one-all draw with Colchester, I, I watched the highlights, which did, they looked like any highlights from a League Two game from the last 30 years. Just everything about it was, was very nostalgic. Um, they missed a penalty late on and he was generally a bit pissed off, wasn't he? He was. And that is what came across with uh, BBC Radio London's Ahmed Noor, who I think is a Sutton fan as well which kind of puts him in a doubly kind of tricky position. And we've all been there as reporters. And I do wonder, for Ahmed's sake, and I spoke to him about it, like it'll be, it'll be good for him as a reporter because you've, you've had this experience. But yeah, Steve Morrison was quite horrible. He, he, he started going down a line of saying, well, your questions don't make any sense. The question being like, you know, what was the decision behind who took the penalty because the penalty was missed? Or, you know, how are we going to stop conceding goals? I mean, these are all legitimate questions. And Morrison was quite unpleasant to him um, which apparently is is kind of a pattern with uh, with Morrison a few people have kind of got in touch from his Cardiff days he was quite similar and I do wonder actually even if even if you know managers can do whatever they like but I think what you've got to remember as well is you know without us being like the you know Illuminati and media but there's so you know Sutton on Radio London for example are obviously not the biggest team they're not going to get the most airtime so how can you push any sort of positive narrative well it's certainly not by alienating one of the only broadcasters who are covering the game and i've been there in the lower leagues at local radio and you're actually just hurting yourself in the long run yeah a very strange situation but i wonder do we do do we feel like managers should just be however they like yeah i thought it was interesting listening to it that there is a there there is a difference between just being in a bad mood and basically him basically saying I think you're shit at your job is what what Steve Morrison was saying and and there's also an interesting part of the post match the post match interview right it's everybody's just dance the dance right you can't because I saw in the replies a lot of people said these questions are stupid it's actually impossible to ask a brilliant question because after the, what can you possibly say if a team's won you say how do you feel the team's lost you say how do you feel or why did this happen like. I don't know what you think, Barry. There's almost nowhere you can go. It's just, give me two minutes. I'm not going to be that annoying. I need you to say something because that's my job. End, you know? Yeah, that's exactly how it should be. And Steve Morrison was just downright rude. 
I'm sure he knows, you know, just play the game, answer the questions. And Ahmed, who I don't know, but he was, I thought he performed well in the face of this rudeness. He was clearly a bit rattled, but I think uh, I'd be inclined to ask, well, why are you being such a dick about this? But <laughs> um, And see what Morrison would have to say to that. He'd probably just walk <laughs> off, as is his inalienable right. Um yeah, he was obviously in a bad mood. He's clearly under pressure, but yeah, you don't have to be a knob. Being in a, being in a bad mood is completely fair enough. Like, you know, this is his job. This is a massive turning point probably in his whole career is, is Harry Smith missing that penalty. That penalty goes in, their chance of survival, his chance of keeping his job massively go up. But that's no reason or excuse to behave in the way that he behaves. Like, treat people with, with respect. Like, if you're a manager, you expect some level of, of respect from a fan base. So don't... You know, someone who's just doing their job, whose job is pretty hard to have to go and interview a pretty terrifying bloke um, who's clearly seething after a game. Um, you know, just be kind. Another part to this as well is the reason they can't say why you're being a dick is because this guy as well, I don't know him, he probably has to interview Steve Morrison next week, right? Like, And so even up to the sort of Jeff Shreves levels, you can't be, you sort of have to kiss their ass a bit because otherwise, but certainly at the top level, they could just say, or even at that level, they could just say, I'm not talking to him or her. And then, that you know, you might be a freelance reporter. If, if the manager's not going to talk to you, then unless the employers really back you, they'll probably just say, I oh, will send someone else. And then you lose your job. So what I would like, what I think BBC London should do is just for one week only, send you there, Barry. And, <laughs> and open with, why were you being such a dick last week, regardless of the results? I would love to see that. It's always hard in these pods to get through everything. And I just wonder if there's anything, anybody, anything sort of big thing we have missed within the EFL. I know we haven't touched on, I know it's not the EFL anymore, but we haven't touched on Talkie United and Rochdale. And we will do because obviously those stories are much bigger than a team losing or a manager being in a, in a bad mood. They're quite different stories, but they're both clubs that uh, need money and, and need it fast. But is there anything else that, I, that you want to bring up before you uh, uh, are, are sent back to the wilderness until we do another EFL pod? Can I just make a point on Stevenage? Every time they win, uh, I'm not being celebration police here, really, I'm not. Steve Evans will go over to the fans and do like this fist bump thing and everyone goes, wait, 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 you know, the, you know, the, the three fists. Yeah, yeah. But I'm so worried about his trackies falling down. They are so, <laughs> <laughs> they're hanging by a literal thread and I'm so worried about it. And I'm really, you know, concerned about this. He needs tailoring, please, something. something well, please. Uh, if they manage to beat Cambridge tonight, then I will, I will, I will look at that care—not too carefully, but carefully. It reminds me of—I <laughs> um, don't know if any of you did judo as a kid, uh, but there was always one kid because it's basically sort of two eight-year-old. Oh, I don't know how old was I? Eleven? I have no idea. But they just sort of grapple each other, and eventually, someone's trousers would fall down, and that was it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, does that have a move name? Does I don't that, know if that it does. Particular move in judo where your trousers fall I'm down. I'm not sure. Anyway, producer Joss says, "End the pod, please." So I will do. Um, you know. <laughs> uh, why are you being such a dick, Joel? That's what I want to say. Um, uh, uh, right, that'll do for today. Thanks, Ben. Cheers, Max. Cheers, George. Thanks, Max. Cheers, Barry. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Zanny. Thank you. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sanders. This is The Guardian.